everyone welcome to another edition of sports with friends we appreciate the subscriptions and thank you for staying loyal and uh, this is episode 271 and this is another episode in a series of episodes about baseball which is wild because we've been burying the sports a lot but it's october and why not do baseball podcasts when we can get guests like this the World Series is underway, and the Tampa Bay Rays and the Los Angeles Dodgers are playing in Arlington, Texas, in a neutral site game for bubble purposes. And you know what? With hockey and basketball not coming back soon, um, football is just on the weekends. I'll tell you this. Uh, nightly sports, where we have had so many games recently and so much action, it's going to slow down. So enjoy the World Series. And I'm going to try to make the best of it. And I think this series is going really, really long. We're also going to welcome back an old friend. Patrick Morrow from Bavada Sportsbook is going to tell us a little bit about the gambling scene and what to bet on with the NFL and the presidential election. There's so much going on. We'll hear from Patrick later on here on the show. Uh, we hope you enjoyed last week's uh, tribute to Whitey Ford, Joe Morgan, and the late Jimmy Lee Solomon. And it was a very interesting podcast. Din Man was great. And he's going to come back. He promises because he's got a ton of great stories, as does our gentleman today. Uh, this is going to be a fun one. And it's just ironic that Jimmy Lee Solomon was the guy who introduced me to our guest today. And he doesn't remember. And I, that, I don't. I, I perfectly expected that. I completely uh, figured that. Uh, but let's do a proper introduction nonetheless. Uh, today, uh, we have a former umpire on the show. Uh, he worked in the American League from 1984 to 1999. He then worked for Major League Baseball when they homogenized all the umpires and they made it all one from 2000 to 2016. Uh, he's been a crew chief. He's done World Series, All-Star Games. He's done all these great things. He's done great moments on the field. And he has a great foundation that he's going to tell us about and an upcoming auction of some of his uh, swag, some of his memorabilia from his uh, umpiring days. John Hirschbeck is with us. John, I've been a fan for a long time. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Seth. Thanks for having me on and thanks for being a fan, especially. Yeah, you know, you're usually not a fan of umpires, but I was always a fan. Well, umpires were always good to me. Uh, and we'll get into that later on. I've never had an issue uh, with it, but. Uh, I have to tell you, I was introduced to you and that I rooted for you afterwards because you were kind. And that was all I was. Oh, thank for. God. That's what I was just waiting to hear. I'm glad <laughs> I, I tried to be. I don't have I high expectations of people, but kindness <laughs> is, is all I was looking for. We were in San Francisco in August of 2007, uh -huh. and it was a tour that MLB Advanced Media had had me on because Barry Bonds was close to breaking Hank Aaron's record. Oh, wow. And I can't tell you if it was the day that he hit it or the day before, but it was a series. I, my memory, you know, I, I don't have the best memory either. But, Me either. Don't worry. Uh, but uh, it was the, it was Barry Bonds hit his uh, record breaking home run that broke Hank Aaron's record amidst all the controversy. And Jimmy Lee Solomon said, you know, that guy right there, that's John Hirschbeck. I'm like the umpire. And you were in all your gear and all that stuff. And you were kind. And that's all I asked. And that was very, very cool. Well, thank you. I'm glad. Was this in the locker room before the game? Uh, it was in the tunnel. Okay. It was in the tunnel. And the weird part about AT&T Park, and it's actually something I criticized that park for, is in order to get to the clubhouses uh, in the tunnel and the umpire's room and all those rooms, you have to go where fans can go. 
You go where fans go and all the people setting up the stadium, the food vendors and everything. Really but, weird, it is a, right? but it is a beautiful get past that. And it's a gorgeous stadium. Right. And what I used to tease because of that. And I think that's a fatal engineering flaw. Like, how did you make that yeah. like that? And I said, well, don't give them credit. They didn't build the water. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they, You're they right. Pittsburgh. They didn't build the right. water. They, they, they don't get credit for that one. That's right. Um, how has retirement been? How has the not being on this grind of doing 120, 130 games every year uh, for so many years, what has it been like and how has quarantine been for you? Well, first of all, retirement has been fantastic, you know, <laughs> and I kind of had an indication because, glee. <laughs> oh God, yes. Um, I, I love it. I mean, I had an indication that it would be good because umpires, we kind of get a test in that you come home every winter after playoffs, World Series. That's right. And I was always busy, but that would be fall, winter, and those aren't the greatest times of year. Um, <laughs> but yet I was always busy and enjoyed myself. So I just always thought, well, when you can add in spring and summer onto that and throw in fishing and golfing, I'm, like, I'm in, you know, and I wake up now and people get tired of hearing me say, it, but I, I first thing I thank God every morning for another day of retirement. I, I just love it. I hunt, I fish, I golf. I do whatever Denise, my wife tells me around the house and it's really good. <laughs> that's, that, that's great. Uh, you have had uh, some tragedy in your life. Uh, there's yes. no secret about that. Um, you know that we were going to talk about it. So I, sure. I apologize just for bringing it up, uh, no, you, lost not at all. Two, you lost two children uh, yes. to the same thing. Um, if you could tell our audience just uh, about about Michael and about his brother, uh, uh, little John, uh, just uh, how they were, who they were and you know, what what they were all about and why you're you're coming on this podcast to promote an auction that mm -hmm. we're going to be doing. And before we get to the auction, tell me about your son. Well, we found out in 1992, our son, we have four children. I always say okay. two daughters and two angels. John was oh. first. And at the time he was seven years old. And um, there were some things wrong with, with him as parents that you know, and you see, and it took us a while to find out. And then we were at Akron Children's Hospital that year, and the doctor said to my wife and I, have either of you ever had anyone in your family die at a young age? And I said, no. And my wife said, well, I had an uncle die in the 1930s when he was eight years old from encephalitis. And the doctor said, bingo, that's it. It didn't have a name back then. Consequently, my mother-in-law had my wife and her sister, uh, and it's X chromosome related, so it's carried by the female and you know, the male is the one that normally gets it or, or does get it 50, 50 chance. But so we found out about John and then, uh, Michael was five at the time. Aaron was three and Megan was, um, just born. And, um, we, you know, after getting through the initial shock and then finding out that Michael had it also, and the two girls were carriers like my wife, um, you know, it was just, it was tragic. And, um, I tell people, you know, you, and then that you decide to yourself, like, okay, um, either you're going to fold up and say, I'm not going to handle this and do it. Or you say, you know what, my family needs me, my wife, the other kids, 
um, we have to go, we have to get through this and knowing that no day is ever going to be the same, but you have to go on. And that day, the doctor said, your son has adrenal leukodystrophy. ALD is the medical abbreviation and he'll be dead within a year. And he died 11 months later in our arms. And, um, Megan, who I mentioned is the youngest. She was an exact bone marrow donor for Michael at eight months old. So that happened. And it's funny because from the time she could speak, she always said she wanted to be a doctor. I guess she was around too many of them. And um, uh, she's a doctor now at Wexner Medical Center at Ohio State and just got well, married. Well. Her, her husband's a doctor. So anyway, that's the background. And Michael, because of the bone marrow transplant, um, lived until he was 27. A lot of problems along the way, um, especially with seizures, grand mal. If people know about those, they're very bad. But he would have everything from small ones to grand mal. Uh, hospitalized and was just part of our life. And he, he was going to, with disabilities, probably live with Denise and I, we thought forever. And um, it just happened that he loved, loved, loved baseball, probably because he was exposed early. And then it happened that his father was a major league umpire. So there lies the story about him being so involved and on the field and bat boy. You're um... I appreciate your, your candor. And uh, I think that's amazing that your daughter became a doctor. Um, and in essence, that, that transplant gave him 20 extra years. I mean, that, sure. that, that, that's amazing. And what a gift yep. uh, he gave you all. Cause you got to know him and know him as an adult. Exactly. And I think that that's, that's pretty uh, fascinating. Um, you came back to baseball after that. Um, I remember seeing the story that you had come back and I was surprised, but not in a judgmental sense. I, I just, I, I don't know, you know, I, I got, thank goodness. I don't have that choice to make. And it's not that you wouldn't go back to work. Cause I don't have any doubt that you would keep on living, but your job is one where you're constantly on the road mm-hmm. and being away from your wife and your two other children. Um, I just was curious, just what it was like to you to, did you feel like you had something unfinished? You had had, you have this accomplished career, like you didn't need to do this. And you came back to baseball. Well, and you're talking about after Michael died, correct? Right. Yeah. 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 Um, I was home. He died April 8th and I was home and it was the day before mother's day. We had just redone our house thinking that, you know, Michael was going to be with us forever. And we were going to stay in the house where the kids all grew up and they had redone the patio and the light wasn't on. And I literally stepped outside, missed a step that was only like a six inch step, you know, big concrete. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I landed on my right knee. I completely tore the quad off the bone. Oh. And when it came off, it took half my kneecap up with it. And um, long story short, I had had surgery. Um, and I think it was God's way because I was not ready to come back then. Um, my wife wasn't, it was just so devastating to find him one morning in bed and you know, that he had passed away. Um, so I was home and baseball throughout my life, you know, I thank God every day from doing what I love to do. I spent 41 years in the game, 34 in the big leagues and seven, in the minors and doing from, from what I love to do more than anything. And, um, Joe Torrey called me at the end of my 90 days because it was a non-field injury. And basically he said, John, I got a couple options for you. He said, we know you're thinking about retiring. Um, and 
if you want to, basically the third option, which was a no brainer, he said, if you want, come back to New York, do replay for us, um, and we'll rehab you at NYU. And I thought, my God, that's great. So I would go to New York for a week. I'd come home for three or four days. I'd go back to New York. And the rehab at NYU was, I thought our guy here was good, but it was like the big leagues compared to, you know, yeah, yeah. A ball, no double offense, A. Ohio. All the no. listeners in Ohio, we're not putting down Ohio, but yes, no, I'm I not, understand. but it was unreal and the care and everything. And, um, and that went on through, that went all of August and September. Okay, so, and by the end of September, by the end of October, I was fully healthy. So I didn't want to leave the game that way. Um, I didn't want to just leave the game after 32 years at the time with Michael dying and me walking away. So I did 15. Um, and then when it got to the end of the year, I actually thought, well, I'll be 62 next year. Uh, I'll max out on all my benefits and, right. you know, and so that's, that's how I did it. And then luck, luckily, luckily, but fortunately they gave me, uh, you know, the all the world series that year and Cleveland and Chicago. So it was a great way to go out. And my wife and the girls had a good time. It was a great world series. Um, it was your, your time with replay. Uh, cause I remember when replay was first instituted, it was done out of Chelsea market and yeah. in, in New York. And it was right by where my desk used to be. I left baseball in 08. And when they first built that room, it was very hodgepodge in the very, very beginning. Yeah. I proposed something and they never did it. And I was so angry. I wanted a red phone like the Adam West Batman series. <laughs> and I wanted every time there was a play at the plate or some you know call to be made, they would it would just ring and I would reach over and go, yes, commissioner. <laughs> you know they never did that <laughs> they were all black sorry they were all black regular black phones and <laughs> and i wanted that in, in in the worst in the worst way uh and it's a great and that's a great answer and i i didn't know that part of it more with john hirschbeck in just a second but as promised the head odds maker at bovada sportsbook patrick morrow on what we should be looking to gamble on this weekend course where it's legal you know we thought we were in good shape early on and then uh you know not a lot of uh, covid positives not a lot of schedule change not a lot of wackiness looked like uh, you know, it's gonna be a pretty quiet sleep it looked like it was gonna be the most typical of all the seasons and uh well the nfl did catch up with uh, the covid craziness uh, we did have another monday night doubleheader which uh you know what i'm, I'm kind of getting used really to... liking they're loving it and you started one game five o'clock on the east coast that's in the in in, in, the, in on the west coast of america that is the the afternoon afternoon football on a monday during a quarantine they'll take it absolutely i mean folks always talk every year about how much they like the afternoon playoff baseball and I, i'm right there with them i think that's great i think you know that's kind of bittersweet when you get that last afternoon baseball playoff game and you start getting towards the world series and uh, everything's prime time which you know i, I understand i get that five o'clock is great i like that a lot more uh being in the eastern time zone as well than that opening monday night football game that is uh, i think they go seven and ten thirty i get it in normal times maybe that makes a little bit more sense uh there's rush hour traffic people need to get to the games we're not worrying about that right now i think uh in the spirit of how flexible they've been with the scheduling so far uh, i would love to see them do that a little bit more often because yeah that five and eight 
815 is just fantastic. Yeah, there's no question uh, that it's something to behold, and you're starting to see, uh, you know, these again these changes and you're starting to see more stadiums that are letting fans in um and then more dissatisfied fans when they're not um and when we look at week seven i want to start out west uh the arizona cardinals had an impressive performance monday night against the dallas cowboys they return home at four and two to take on an undefeated seattle seahawks team and russell wilson i understand seattle is a favorite but arizona has to be a force to be reckoned with Absolutely. Looking at this game, uh, currently Arizona is a three and a half point home dog against the Seahawks. And uh, th that says a lot about what Arizona's done so far this year. I mean, they came into the season as uh, kind of an under, kind of a, a sleepy sleeper, pardon me, for uh, some prognosticators, myself included. And normally, in a, if we look back to this matchup in previous years, uh, Seattle would be on the other side of seven. I think this speaks to how dynamic uh, Kyler Murray has been under center how good that offense has looked and uh, looking at that over under right now 56 and a half points one of our highest totals of the week one of our highest totals of the season so far uh, we're expecting points we're expecting a really good back and forth currently about 65 percent of the action on the Seahawks and our MVP favorite Russell Wilson yeah he's he's got to be at this point he has to be um, and you just you just wonder uh, where that's going. But then there's Tom Brady. And Tom Brady and the Buccaneers travel to Vegas to take on the Raiders. And you have a couple of teams there with a couple of losses. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, Tampa Bay was another team that really impressed on week six. Absolutely. Uh, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, that was our most bet on game of the week last Sunday at Bavada. Uh, I think the Packers closed as two and a half point favorites. It was also our biggest decision, one of the best ones for the house. Uh, as uh, you know, the Packers came out early. They scored on a couple drives up 10 nothing, looking great. And then, uh, you know, a turnover really can change things in an instant like that. And the Bucks were able to give uh, Rodgers a bit of a discount double gut check, just absolutely smashing him uh, from that point onwards. I think it finished something like 38-10. Uh, Bucks look good, a good comeback game for the Packers. I think, uh, you know, I think we do kind of overreact to these one game sample size. It's not certainly not the end of the world, but I think the Packers were probably playing a bit over their heads uh, leading into that game. You know, they played the, that game again. The game's probably closer to pick them. Looking to that Bucks Raiders game though, that is certainly one of the more compelling matchups of the week. I think the Raiders have looked good this year. They've uh, got wins over the Chiefs. They've got wins over the New Orleans Saints. Uh, again, another high total, 53 and a half points. Uh, I think that's, definitely one of the games of the week go looking at the action disparity right now currently the bucks three-point favorites in vegas taking about 70 percent of bets so far unbeatens in nashville the titans who had a thriller derrick henry and the titans wow uh that was impressive last week uh slight favorite or no no they're a slight underdog against pittsburgh a very slight underdog. They are two-point underdogs at Bovada and uh, currently seeing action 50-50. Uh, I'm actually, I'm, I'm quite happy to see the Titans continue on with that run from last year's playoffs and the job that Vrabel has done as head coach. Uh, you know, I think this flew under the radar a little bit, but uh, 
the too many men on the field penalty that he took late in regulation to help stop the clock. Even though it conceded a first down, it ensured that the Titans would have a little bit more additional time. And it, it made a massive difference. I think that's why they were able to eventually take that to overtime and win. And, you know, he's shown some kind of Belichickian craftiness of his interpretation of the rules to use that. He did that in the playoffs last year as well, where he uh, you know, uses procedure penalties and different clock stoppage uh, penalties to his advantage to either run that clock out further or to extend it. And so he did it again on Sunday. Absolutely masterclass. Uh, they would have definitely lost that game or been highly likely to have lost that game at least. Uh, we Very rarely do we peddle in absolutes in the odds-making business, so that's an important disclaimer there. But yeah, Steelers-Titans. Uh, again, a great matchup. The Steelers' defense looking great this year. The Titans looking very strong offensively. Tannehill looking good. Henry just an absolute beast again. Uh, so it makes sense that we're seeing a slight disparity there. I would say that the Steelers probably looking a little bit better defensively than the Titans, and that is what's giving them that very slight road edge there. You mentioned Bill Belichick and the, his New England Patriots are under 500, yet they're the favorite when they host San Francisco. And I'll tell you this about San Francisco. They've been so banged up, so many injuries, but Garoppolo came back last week. He looked good. I, well, let's not forget who the San Francisco 49ers are, you know? Yeah, that's uh, an intriguing matchup for betters. Uh, you know, like as you noted, the Patriots are a slight favorite. They are two and a half point favorites at home against Bovada. They had a pretty frustrating uh, game against the Broncos where the Broncos didn't really do a lot of things right. The Patriots got in their own way a little bit. I mean, that Broncos defense is legit. Let's, you know, let's give them a little bit of credit. Uh, but Cam Newton certainly struggled. Um, I do expect, uh, you know, the good thing with Belichick is that he's such an adaptable, adjustable coach that, uh, you know, he doesn't, he's more likely to bounce back uh, than any other coach in the league. Actually, we, you know, we've talked about this idea before at Bovada of handicapping a coach. Um, and Belichick uh, is the best example of uh, a coach that you can almost blindly bet. Historically, it's something like 62% of Patriots games have covered the spread. And when you think about how good the Patriots have been every year and that you're more likely than not dealing with even inflated spreads, it speaks to his class that basically the problem of handicapping a coach is, uh, you know, there's no stats to reference. There's no uh, yards per attempt. There's no points per possession stuff that you can really put out there. So it just goes to show that Belichick makes the Patriots so much better than the sum of their parts. Um, the over-under, currently set at 45, certainly reflects the fact that uh, we believe that this will be a much more defensive game, that the Patriots defense will be able to tighten up and create some frustrations for Jimmy Garoppolo, a quarterback, of course, that they're very familiar with. And finally, just one Monday night game, at least when we're recording, because we never know who's, what's happening in the NFL. Uh, SoFi Stadium, uh, the Los Angeles Rams hosting the 5-1 and one Bears, who have been one of the bright spots in the NFL this season. Yeah, absolutely. If they can, uh, you know, get some consistency under center, they'll certainly be feeling a lot more comfortable with uh, what they're able to do. Although, you know, they, they handled the Panthers uh, pretty reasonably well. Uh, Nick Foles didn't have to do too much in step two outside of his comfort zone, which, uh, you know, week in, week out, I, I do start to wonder, I mean, Wentz probably, everyone talks about the upside of Wentz in Philly. Uh, you know, I, I do wonder, and I'm sure I'm sure the Philly faithful uh, aren't shy about their opinions as to whether who they'd rather prefer under center right now but back to bears rams that interesting matchup there i think uh the rams with a bit of a letdown against the 49ers uh they were one of the more 
popular bet teams this past uh, Sunday at Bavada. But, uh, you know, we, we still think they're a pretty decent team. Very impressed with uh, how McVay and Goff have turned things around after last season. And that's reflected in the fact that we have the Rams as a five and a half point favorite over the five and one Bears. Bears have looked very good defensively, as they're known to do. Uh, you know, still a little bit of question with that offense. Um, as it currently stands, about 65% of money is on the Bears, plus five and a half, and on the money line at plus 210, and the over-under set 45 and a half. Seeing split action so far, good bounce back opportunity for the Rams. We do rate them as slightly better than the Bears. And there's more on the Bavada website for week seven in the NFL. Patrick Morrow, welcome back to Sports with Friends. We'll talk to you next week. I'll try my best. Now back to our conversation with former big league umpire, John Hirschbeck. Let's discuss the foundation, the magic yes. of Michael's foundation, mm-hmm. uh, the conceptual uh, idea behind that. And then um, we'll get to the auction, which is really co- some really cool stuff. Great. Well, when Michael passed away um, right after that, friends of his came to Denise and I, and they said, Hey, we want to do something to honor Michael. We'd like to have a golf outing. And um, we're like, oh, we don't know about that. And, and then their answer was, well, you guys don't have to do anything. Just show up. But we want to do this. Well, of course, we didn't just, you know, show up. We got very involved with it. Um, and then from there, the idea that we have was to have a dinner. So make it into a big event. Um, our first guest was Joe Torrey. Great guy. And just I, to this day, can't thank him enough. Um, Jim Leland came the next year. And then um, two years ago, of course, we didn't have it this past year, but two years ago, we had um, Terry Francona and Jim Tomei. And um, it's, it's a lot of work, a labor of love, but a lot of work. Um, and well, I'll back up a minute first. So we thought that our motto is families facing the curveballs of life. So we work closely with Akron Children's Hospital but we do a lot of, most of our things are independent and we've done everything from um, companion dogs for, for children. We've done uh, motorized wheelchairs for um, a young girl that had MS. We build a lot of ramps, uh, redo showers for handicapped for children. And then we have a lot of inner, inner city programs for underprivileged um, children. Like we have an after school program at the Boys and Girls Club. Um, United Way, we do a lot of stuff with them. So we're very involved in the community, all of Northeast Ohio. Um, we've never said no to anyone on, on anything that we've been asked. And um, if I mentioned, we've given Akron Children's Hospital a quarter of a million dollars. Um, and then how the whole thing with the Magic of Michael got started is that I keep always trying to think of ideas and ways that we can raise money. And um, about a year and a half ago, um, I have all this memorabilia, all these things that you just kind of collect over the course of time by just being around. And um, I thought, you know, Michael's not here. Um, I don't need that stuff. And if we could sell it and all and 100% of the profit is going to the magic of Michael, no one organization gets paid um, a dime. And that could fund us, you know, forever. And you know, his legacy will go on forever. And um, so I decided, talked to my wife and I decided, you know what, let's just do it. If, if it can help one child's life, then, then it's worth it. Uh, so we went ahead and 
I contacted Brandon Steiner and I always remember being in Yankee Stadium. Another and always good guy. Stein, you know, a great bunch guy. of nice guys. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. And Steiner auctions and everything. I thought, well, he's in New York. He's in Yankee Stadium. Heard a lot of things about it. Let me call him. And we talked and um, he seemed like a terrific guy and still is to this day and, and just hit it off. And I thought this, I'm not going to look any farther. This is the person I'm going to go with. And now here we are, you know, probably halfway into it. It goes on for a month. Yeah, uh, and you can go to uh, collectibleexchange.com. There's also uh, bidcx.com, which is Uh the website for uh, Brandon's Collectible Exchange. And uh, you just click on uh, your name, John Hirschbeck. For the audience, don't click on your own name because it won't be there. Uh, But uh, John Hirschbeck's name will be there. And uh, uh, you can can find it. And there's some, some really neat stuff. There's an autograph. Uh, game used 1998 Cal Ripken jersey. Uh, there's a Randy Johnson autograph game used uh, jersey from 2002. You have some of your stuff, chest protectors, mm-hmm. hats. Uh, it's really, it, it's it, it's pretty wild. And uh, yeah, uh, King Griffin you know, Jr. Oh, I'm just thinking of people who have been on the podcast. <laughs> you know, and I just, yeah, and I just wanted to mention too, if people that are watching, listening, if they go to magicofmichael.com, that's our uh-huh. website. Okay. And there's a way to get into it through that. But oh, okay. what you'll see is like, we have our purpose. We have, you know, our mission. We have a lot of pictures of families and people that we've helped. And it just tells a lot about our family. And awesome. um, I think it's always good to see pictures and be able to put the family in the face and the people that we've helped to the whole thing of the magic of Michael. And we'll put the links on the, uh, in the, in the show, in the show notes. So Great. when people get Great. the podcast, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll find it and that'll be, uh, really cool and it's it's a, it's some really neat stuff and i've done shows with brandon uh and he's he, he a lot of the stuff that he does i mean it's a business don't get me wrong but mm-hmm. he's so benevolent I, I mean he tries so yeah. hard to help uh, you know organizations such as this and uh when it was proposed to me i was just like oh my god john Hirschbeck, like are you kidding well thank you I'm, I'm honored to be on here believe me uh, it, 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 it's it's great um there's a couple things I, I don't want to just go through like uh you know times in, in your game but one i have a couple of questions about baseball uh through the years that i've that i've wanted to ask you and the first one was when baseball changed uh its umpires from mm-hmm. the national league umpires to the, and the american league umpires to just mlb umpires right and what i always noticed from my perspective was that you lost the familiarity that umpires yep. would have with the with the teams. There was something when I was growing up and I was a baseball fan. This is way before my career and I've covered baseball for 26 years. But when I covered baseball, when I was just a fan of baseball, I heard of the National League strike zone. That high strike, that high fastball was a National League strike. And once you homogenized all the umpires, you took that away. Your thoughts now, looking back at it, since you've experienced both, you're the perfect guy to ask this. What about the idea of the National League and the American League going together? Okay, the history of it, and when I went to umpire school in 1976, that was like the last year they spent one week of the six-week program with us learning the outside chest protector or the balloon, where, you know, is a big, people probably don't even know what that is nowadays. But um as comp- the American League, there were a lot of guys that used that traditionally. And in the National League, they wore the inside protector, which was against like your, your T-shirt, and then your game jersey would go over it like a hard shell. Looked like half 
half of a shoulder pad with a little bit more extension down the stomach. Yep. Um, and when I started in 83, my first year, there were only two people still using it and they retired after that year. So all the American League, all the National League, but that, that thing that media would say and still that the American League calls the higher strike zone, the National League. And then when the World Series came, it'd be three American League guys, three National League. And it was always like, you know, that, that fan thing, media thing that like, okay, is it different? Do they want their league to win? You know, all that kind of stuff. Social and media silly. didn't exist then. And oh my God. It and would it's have still, been imagine nasty. now, <laughs> oh imagine my God. now, dear Lord. So um, <laughs> it was, it, and, and the commissioner's office, they were trying to just make things more condensed, more streamlined, which they did and end all that stuff, um, including some interpretations on the field. So they just put us into one house. So then my second 17 years, starting in uh, 99, um, we were just major league umpires and that was okay. It was, it was nice early on because you work hard to build a reputation. People get to know you. However, your reputation goes around in the game of baseball. We'll talk later. I'm sure, you know, it's, it's a big family. We fight like any family there's, there's yeah. problems, but it, once you put the uniform on, whether you're a player, a trainer, or an umpire, you're, you're on field personnel. It's a family. Um, and it was just, uh, it, it it worked out a lot better, I think. And, and the idea was to be in certain parts of the country. Scheduling is really tough because a lot of things go into the contract where you can't see a team too often and all, but, yep. but overall, I think it was a, a great move on baseball's part. Back with more of sports with friends in just a moment, but first we want to welcome a new sponsor to this show. Sports with friends is now brought to you by manscaped. What's manscaped. Well, they're just simply the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Yeah, I said it. Below the waist. Listen, gentlemen, I'm talking to you. We've all had to be there. We've all had to do it. Whether you are right now doing it for a partner or you're doing it because you're hoping for a partner, we have to groom. And yes, when it's about women... They talk about it all the time. There's pictures of it. You can see it, and it's in popular culture. But no one ever talks about us. We never talk about it. I will never go on Twitter. Well, now I will. I've never gone on Twitter before and said, shave my balls today, and I don't know how to do it, and I don't know what to do right. I don't get it. That's why Manscaped has redesigned their electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team... 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created. It's the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Now, this is premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. It's waterproof. You can do it in the shower. There's an LED light which illuminates the grooming areas. And I can say from first-hand knowledge, that is very valuable. No, I'm not doing it in the dark. Stop asking me that. But... When you have that light, you're pointing at exactly the right spot. And let's be honest, you do not want to miss. They've upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And when they told me that, I did want to look it up and just make sure I knew what it was. It comes with a charging stand, so when people go in your bathroom, they'll see it and they'll go, this guy pays attention. This is a classy thing. 
And I've always been told, just be classy. Trim it. Trim it. Make it look good. If you're listening, I want you to experience it firsthand. So we have a deal with Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com and you can get 20% off and free shipping. I mean, free shipping alone is great. 20% off free shipping with the code FRIENDS. And we've done codes like this and it's so funny because every time they do the code and it's always friends i always think of and now you'll never forget the code <laughs> you gotta try manscape try the lawnmower 3.0 get 20 percent off free shipping with the code friends at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code friends and yes photos are available upon request i also wanted to ask you about rewards um the reward for an umpire and this comes to something that i always call for which i think is and i i thought baseball did it really really well when i first started covering it i wonder if they're still doing it and that is umpire accountability there were umpire evaluators. Uh, Billy Sample was an umpire evaluator, and he mm-hmm. used to go to the ballpark, and I would harass him, and he'd be like, leave me alone. I have to, I have to fill out my umpire evaluation. And I mm-hmm. remember those, and I always thought of that. Was that the only thing that postseason assignments were based on? And did you ever get the sense that that's his political – that was like a, a, a vicious game of office politics that – there would be guys based on seniority and based on alliances and all the different stuff that there would be guys getting postseason assignments. And I always thought that in full transparency, those umpire evaluations should have been released. I thought that should have been public and it never was because I would love to know that the guys who are getting the best marks are getting the post postseason assignments. Your thoughts. When, Major League Baseball took over in 2000. I was union president from then to 09. I did Mm -hmm. two contracts. And that was the big thing that they were trying to bring, which they did bring in, umpire accountability. Um, It wasn't going to be the Wild West anymore with some things that went on from some umpires that to this day, I just shake my head. Um, And I think they did a great job. The accountability part, we kind of resented that at, at, at first because they had a lot of people that really did. Ha- they had baseball experience, but they didn't have umpire experience. However, completely agree. Completely. There were supervisors, though, that they hired from the get go. They expand the staff up until then. It was so limited. Um, Dick Butler, the man that brought me to the big leagues in full time in 84, he was pretty much a one man show. And then he left. Marty Springstead took over. And then they had Ed Vargo in the National League, and it was um, a lot less accountability. So I give credit again to MLB that they really expand the staffs, and they've done it even more so. And, and with all the, um, the media and, and all the, the things that are out there nowadays, it's, um, it's pretty intense on guys and the strike zones and the way things have changed with camera coverage and the, the uh, exactness of everything. Um, that part, I don't know if it's that great, but it's a different game now than when I worked. Um, I kind of liked it better then, but 
hey, you have to move on with the times. No, and I was I was always pro umpire, but I thought the way to be pro umpire was to be uh, pro the union and make sure that they got the right amount of days off and the mm-hmm. right travel schedule. Like you can be pro umpire. I, I I was thought that's what that's how you be pro pro uh, umpire. My issue was there's all these evaluations going on, and if you're a player, if you're a second baseman for the Milwaukee Brewers everything that your production value is out on front street. Everybody knows what you're doing, right? Well, we see these games and we see what the calls are and we know all the calls, but I don't want to have to rely on fans or viewers or radio hosts to make those judgments. These umpires are being evaluated. Well, let's see who's evaluating Hunter Wendelstedt and I used to scream about that all the time because Again, that's not being anti-umpire. And I always thought that's what it should be and just have transparency so that when other umpires and we're not going to start, I'm not asking you to mention names because you guys are very loyal to each other. But when some umpires get these postseason assignments, you can go, what in the world? But then baseball could come out and say, well, he scored XXXXX and that's why he's there. And Twitter wouldn't accept it anyway, but it's not the point. Right. At least then you have some kind of uh, from angle. Um, is there is there a incentive as an umpire to get those kinds of assignments to get World Series and, and playoffs? And is it is it financial? Is it just your you know professional strive i mean i mean what is the action of that and how big a deal is getting those assignments it's absolutely true when i tell people when you get out of umpiring school and you get into the minor leagues your goal is to make it to the big leagues okay once you make it to the big leagues what's your goal it's your goal is to work a world series and get a ring we get rings you know from the all-star games from the world series your goal is to get a World Series ring. That is, then, then you've like made it to the top of the mountain, although you got to keep going a long way. But um, it's, it's also rewarding amongst your peers to know that, okay, um, they, MLB thinks enough of me that I got a postseason assignment, no matter what it is, um, that I worked the League Championship Series, that I worked the World Series, you know, Everybody wants to be good and, and be known as being good at what they do. So that's that's why. Yes, it's very rewarding. And it's also financially rewarding. Yeah. And, and that's and that was why I always thought it was important to acknowledge. And just that fact, when 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 people complain about umpires, what I hope that people realize is they are literally doing the best job they can because they want those assignments. Right. And we try. People don't realize that. Of course. Because they've never really, anytime you normally meet somebody new, they've never met a major league umpire because they're uh, even now. You never talk to them. You don't sign autographs. You don't standing out the ballpark. Right. And it's, again, people say, well, what's the difference? I said, when you go to any job, you want to care about your job. You want to do well at it. You want to hustle. You want to work hard. And all those things are the things that players and managers see over time. And then they say, well, boy, it must've been hard with people yelling at you all the time. I said, no, they didn't really yell at me that much. And if they did, it didn't. And I don't mean this folks, if you're watching or listening to sound cocky, but I just didn't tolerate it with me or my crew. And um, 
you know, you weren't going to yell at us. If, if we make a mistake, that's fine. You can, you can yell, you can argue, but do it in the proper way. And once you cross that line, then it was time to say, you know, put my foot down, say, okay, that's it, and run them whenever I had to. But um, for the most part, I think once that reputation gets out there, they respect you and know that you're working hard and they know that people are going to make mistakes. Um, but they, they leave you alone. They did me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, you know, I stand by this podcast. You can listen to back episodes. So I just want to say that I'm being very consistent. I haven't changed any of my sentiment uh, because we have you on the show here. I'm, mm-hmm. not, I'm not changing anything. No, I know that. I, I am against the automated strike zone. I don't yeah. like the idea of an automated strike zone. I'd rather pitches get called wrong. And again, umpire accountability for if it's egregious, I want it known. And that's why I, I always say, let the evaluations be known, but I'd never want to take it out of the umpire's hands. What's your thought on the strike zone and forget all the other aspects of the game, just calling balls and strikes. I don't know. If it's really going to happen, I think if it does, they're going to have taken it way too far at that point. Um, it's, you know, players nowadays, they'll come up and, and they'll say like, geez, that, that pitch was an inch outside. Well, an inch outside is like, if I was that good to be able to tell you, like when they look at the camera and know it's an inch outside, I wouldn't be doing this job. I'd right, be doing be a, your job. Oh, I you was going to say you'd be a marksman. <laughs> yeah, really. So um, I, I hope that they don't do that. I hope, but they've changed the profession. As I said earlier, they've changed the profession an awful lot anyway, but you know, I'm old fashioned. You can't get in the way of technology and what's going to come forward. And, um, Sandy Alderson back in the day when he was our, our boss starting in 2000, when MLB right, took the great over, Sandy Alderson. yes, good man, good man. And, um, I learned a lot from him. I really did. And that change over time, you know, when we were coming from everybody in the wild west and not having great accountability. Yep. And um, I really want to be able to tell him that someday um, that I did learn a lot from him. And, um, you know, accountability is good. And I remember him once saying we were having lunch out in San Francisco and he said, John, technology is coming. You, you can't stop it. You can't get in the way of it. It's going to come and it's going to change the game. And I always think, boy, was he right, you know, and it has the only, and the bad, the bad thing though, is the games have gotten so long. Oh. I don't know. I watched oh, we'll a little get, bit last we'll night. We'll get there. <laughs> I don't know how long last night's game went. Um, I, I don't, but I know other playoff games, they were ridiculously long. And, you know, people say, why is that? Here's my theory that because of the money they make and because of all the statistics and the accountability the scrutiny they're under is that every hitter, every pitch to every hitter means something. Every at bat means something. So in the old days of like, you know, you're down 10, nothing. And they just go seven, eight, nine, boom, boom, boom. And let's get out of here. That's been long gone. And they want to make every at bat count. Even in spring training, they do it. And when a pitcher gets on the mound, he doesn't want to say, okay, just throw fastballs down the middle. And like, let's get, couple ground balls fly ball and get out of here he wants Keep the to line pitch. moving yeah but they they haven't done that for years and that'll never happen again because every pitch he makes goes into statistics that when come time for his time to talk money that's the things that count all right you open pandora's box let's go there um <laughs> okay let's put a pin in this uh this conversation is not over my friend 
Uh, thank you for listening to Sports with Friends. Next week, part two of the conversation with John Hirschbeck. Uh, the World Series should be over by then. We'll have a lot more to talk about, and he's just starting to get into what my favorite subject these days is, how to fix baseball. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. We will be back next week with another episode of Sports with Friends. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go, and then you'll know for me to stay. I got to be me. You'll never be in doubt. That's what it's all about. You can't take me for granted and smile. Come on, please. I'm gone. Forget reaching my phone because I promise.